Scripture says that uh, they, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. Scott's going to come now. This is Scott Brown, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his story. We are enjoying hearing life testimonies of people whose lives are being changed by Jesus. We've heard from the Pauls, Paul McKinley and Paul Wareham. This morning we hear from Scott Brown. So, Scott, just go ahead and walk us into February the 12th, 2020. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the first day that I remember after taking a bunch of pills and trying to kill myself. Um, I took uh, enough pills to kill a horse and uh, mm. planned on going to sleep and in my apartment and waking up with Jesus. And the 12th, I woke up in a hospital surrounded by my family and friends and all the things that I didn't plan on dealing with. That would be awfully scary. <laughs> Tell us, uh, what lies were you believing when that happened? Pretty much everything. Um, I think it was more my point of view uh, towards everything. Um, any any negative thing, uh, I kind of looked at as I blamed myself for failing. Um, you know, every every negative thing in my in my life <clears throat> was because of me, mm -hmm. um, or because of something I didn't do or something I failed at. <clears throat> Um, just you just kind of look at everything in your life and, and you wind up feeling like the world's a better place without you or um, that if you fail at this then you might as well not try anything else mm -hmm. how has that experience changed you Scott um, well I kind of look back now <laughs> um, through this past year um a lot of things have changed. Um, the biggest part that's changed is my point of view. Um, and I look back at the things that I, the way that I looked at things before and kind of shake my head and wonder how I ever, ever thought that way. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, there's little, little blessings that have occurred that, um, like the first weekend um, I spent with my kids and went to church in Southern Maryland with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was <clears throat> never been able to get through this without <laughs> breaking up. <clears throat> I looked down and I was holding my daughter's hand. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, I almost missed this. Mm. So I've had lots of experiences in the last year <clears throat> of things that I've looked at like, I almost missed this. <clears throat> things that um, you know I used to look at only being able to see my kids every two weeks as a failure but now I look at seeing my kids as the best part of the month <laughs> um, I just look at things that I used to look at I guess listening to the enemy he can he can make you look at things to make it so you're not you're not living your life for God or his purpose and make you seem like a failure. And he doesn't have to take you to the extreme that I took it. Mm -hmm. um, he wins if, if he affects your life and um, brings you home from work in a bad mood and affects your relationships at home. Um, it doesn't have to go as far as I took it for him to win. But um, if we kind of 
look through, look at life like uh, my new theme song, Mercy Me's Say I Won't. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at life through a different lens. Um, this, this past year has just been full of blessings. Um, my girlfriend. Hmm. <clears throat> Wasn't expecting to see her this morning because she works Sunday hmm. mornings. <clears throat> and to see her just, I told her, great, now I'm going to walk up there crying. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, my, my mom's watching, my kids are watching. Hmm. But I guess, um, the message that I want to get to you is it's a miracle that I'm here. Mm. Um, I didn't look at it like that until, uh, until a nurse at, in the hospital asked me what I took, and I told her what I took. And she shook her head and said, any one of those should have killed you, but the mixture definitely should have killed you. Mm. And she couldn't explain why I'm here. Um, so I made God work pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> to keep me here. Um, and I guess over the past year, I've, I've kind of looked at life like he already died on a cross for me. And that wasn't enough for me. So don't be stubborn like me <laughs> and make him, make him work so hard. But um, he's just shown me the, the blessings of living your life through, through his eyes. Um, and that's, I kind of got a, a T-shirt on <laughs> that my, uh, my daughter gave me. Hmm. <clears throat> and uh, it's a semicolon and a semicolon and a cross, mm. um, and that's that's kind of how I want to live from now on. Um, kind of like you you can't tell where I end and the and the cross starts mm. where Jesus Jesus starts. I want people to see Jesus and not me. Um, it's it's a lot happier <laughs> <laughs> than than the way that I was looking at at life. Thank you, Scott. You know, it uh, takes a lot of courage to do what he just did. And uh, not only would Scott have missed out on some things, but his daughter would have missed out on some things, and his girlfriend, and us, for hearing God at work in Scott's life. So thank you, Scott. I appreciate you coming and sharing. Thank you. We uh, continue in our book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, in a series entitled Victorious and uh, this title of this one is called How Much More, which is going to be taken from several of the verses of Romans chapter 5. You know, it's difficult to solve a problem when you don't know what the problem is. It's only when you see, when God reveals to you what the problem is, that you can now get at the solution. If I was driving down the road and steam started pouring out from under the hood, I would pull my car over to the side of the road, you know, and... Um, push the lever, open up the hood, put my hands on my hips, look inside the engine, steam pouring out, and then I would call somebody because I don't know anything about engines, about thermostats, about radiators, antifreeze, any of that stuff. I don't work on them. I don't know how to fix them. This week, the Internet went down at our house. <clears throat> Debbie said, you know, before you go, call Comcast. They went through a sort of simple, advanced procedure leading up to a reboot, refreshment of the signal. I mean, we had to upgrade our password, but I am not very tech-savvy, if you know me. Um, I don't know how to reboot. I don't know how to refresh. I don't know any of that stuff. <laughs> Some of you 
have been trying to fix yourself for a long time. You've spent money trying to fix you. You've read books on how to fix you. Your spouse (laughs) has been trying to fix you. You've seen somebody, and they've been trying to fix you, right? (laughs) By this point in your life, you might have a theory about what's going on with you, but sometimes you just mystify yourself, don't you? Some of you have lost jobs because of you. Some of you have lost sleep because of you. Some of you have lost marriages because of you. Some of you have lost a lot of money because of you. Why do we keep doing the same old things? Why is it when you get hungry, you fill in the blanks? Or what is it happens when you get lonely, you keep on doing that? Or you get bored and you keep going to that? Or you get stressed or anxious and you start doing that? Or you get exhausted, weary, and you do that? It most likely falls into some categories of food. You eat stuff you shouldn't eat. Alcohol, you begin to drink to calm yourself down. Entertainment, you watch something to tune out. Or sexual, you click on to something, you turn on a movie, you do something you regret. So I'd like to take a shot, if I could, at diagnosing what's wrong with you. (laughs) I know many have tried before, but here we go. It's also what's wrong with me, based on Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, you may not like the diagnosis. In fact, if you agree with the diagnosis, then you can receive the remedy for the problem. But it's possible, if you're not a Bible person, you will say after you hear this, I expect you to say something like that. But the truth is, you haven't figured you out yet. Would you admit, just admit, just have a moment of honesty, that you've had a hard time fixing yourself? It's a big task fixing you. In spite of everything you've read, in spite of what people have said, in spite of all the counseling you've been through, everything you've been taught, some things in your life just are hard to change, aren't they? You know, eating certain foods isn't good for you but you eat them anyhow. And you know that going to bed is what you should do, but you stay up anyway, right? You keep watching that show that will take you down the wrong path, but you watch it anyway. You keep clicking onto that website, and you know it's a bad idea, but you click anyway. Maybe this morning you have a critical spirit. You just find it really easy to judge people. You find fault with them. You don't really know them yet, but you find fault with them. Where does that come from? You might have a real hard time telling the truth or speaking the truth. I found that that was one of my core issues of not telling the truth because I didn't want to disappoint people, you see. So there's always a reason why we are what we are. You may not like the diagnosis. You may not even like the solution. But we can all agree there is a problem. In a moment of vulnerability in Romans, Paul bears his soul. In Romans chapter 7, verse 5, he says, I do not understand what I do. I don't get myself. Sometimes I am mystified. I am baffled about me. I am perplexed. 
For what I really want to do, that I don't do. But what I really hate, that's what I do. To be honest, I do not do what I ought to do. Why didn't Paul, why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? Why don't we stop eating when we hit 1,400, 1,800 calories? Why don't we just stop drinking when we've had a glass of wine, a beer? You may go to a wedding soon, and they may have an open bar. You ever wonder why people drink so heavily at weddings? You've wondered that, haven't you? Well, some drink because it's free. They're looking to have a good time. They don't dance well, but if I have a few drinks, maybe I can loosen up a bit and dance. I get asked, can Christians dance? And I say, well, some can and some can't. <laughs> some drink because once upon a time they were married and things didn't turn out so well. They drink to numb their soul. Some drink because they have a drinking problem. So why do we take it so far, right? I want to tell you that there's a power I'm going to speak of that's greater than the power of alcohol. Why don't I get in my 10,000 steps? Why do I spend money I don't have? Why do I drink Diet Cokes when I know they're bad for me? Is what I really need a lecture about Diet Coke? Is somebody saying to me, don't look at that? Study harder, pay now, play later. Get me another self-help book. That's what I need, right? That's what I need. What's the battleground for you? See, I really want you to triumph and gain victory. But some of you have given up. There's no way in the world I could ever overcome this. It's too far ingrained. It's too much part of my life. I admit it's hard to make changes. I've made a few changes in my life, but I didn't understand how hard it was to change, so I tried to change some things. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, You see, at just the right moment, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I want you to underscore, underline, circle powerless. Powerless means I want to, but I can't. I want to let things go, but I hold on to things way too long. I want to avoid eating stuff. I don't, I know it's bad for me, but I can't. I have this addiction to something, but I just can't seem to break it. Powerless means without strength, without being helpless. It means I have nothing to contribute to my salvation. Powerless is describing the human condition. And now we hit our first speed bump in the morning. It says that Christ died for the ungodly. You have to understand what the problem is before we get to the solution. You have to acknowledge the reality. Paul says the reality is that we were ungodly. Now, don't take offense. God is perfect and you are imperfect. You're not the worst person in the world, but you are in your natural state, unlike God, you are ungodly. You have ungodly thoughts and attitudes. You make ungodly choices, and you take ungodly actions. That's the bad news. The good news is Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you glad? The perfect Son of God laid down his life for imperfect people like me. 
And that's a pretty profound truth. Now, I'm making the linkage between what you do and what you believe and who you are. Paul is saying that you are ungodly. You see, we believe things about ourselves that aren't true. We believe that we are worthless. We believe we don't measure up to a standard. We believe we're not good enough. And because we feel so worthless, some of us have given up. What's the point of even trying? Some of us have become perfectionistic, right? If we peel back the onion, if we strip off the layers, what underlies our behavior is our thought process. If we can change how we think, we can make better choices. So, Paul says, it's uncommon for someone to die for a righteous man, though it does happen that someone would lay down their life for a good man because they're worthy, you see. But God demonstrates his love for us in that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unworthy, Christ laid down his life. When we were sinning, Christ died. Now we come to the four statements I like to spend our time with in Romans, beginning in chapter 5 and verse number 10. You could say these phrases all have sort of a comparison with a phrase in it called, how much more? How much more? Could you say that with me? How much more? The first of these is Romans 5.10, which says, For if we were God's enemies, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And I cannot tell you how good news this is, that we were on the other side. We were at odds with God. We were not on good terms with God. We were at war with God. Now we've been reconciled by the work of the cross, that we have believed what Jesus did was for us, that we are now on good terms with God. We are at peace with him. We are friends. Jesus died a sacrificial substitutionary death for you. He was the Lamb of God taking away the sins, the sin of the world. Think about in the Bible the progression of redemption. When Adam sinned, you remember in the garden, God killed a lamb and its blood covered the sin of one man. And when the children of Israel were down in Egypt, and each family had to kill a lamb. The blood of the lamb covered for one family. And then the high priest, once a year, would go into the holy place. And there he would make atonement, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. He took the blood of a goat, and the blood covered the nation. But when Jesus died on the cross and shed his precious blood, he died for all mankind, one person for all mankind. You see, the lamb's blood covers your sin. What you did with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, is covered by the cross. The times when you said yes, when you meant to say no, is paid for by the cross. The times you went too far, Christ atoned for. People will say when a tragedy strikes that God is paying me back for what I did. That is impossible because the entire debt was paid on the cross. But listen to this next part of verse 10. How much more, how much more, if we were enemies of God and God reconciled us to himself through the cross, having been reconciled, how much more could we say, how much more shall we be saved by his life? 
Sometime before sunrise, Jesus rose from the dead. He is not on the cross. He is not in the grave. He is not in the tomb. He has arisen victorious over sin and death. Your sin was atoned for at the cross, and the tomb proves that death has been conquered. How much more shall we be saved? You see, his death changes where I'm going, but his life changes who I am. Sin would love to tyrannize me. Sin would love to control me. Sin would love to triumph over me. But my Jesus triumphed over sin and over death. You see, his death changes my final destination. I was headed straight to hell. I was a sinner. But I have entered into eternal life because he has prepared a place for me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not because of anything I have ever done, but because of what he has done. So I do not boast in my accomplishments. I boast in the cross. If you are going through a season of depression, I think I understand. Because growing up, I think I felt very depressed and very hopeless. And one of the most dramatic changes in me is how much hope I have now. Well, since I felt so hopeless in those days. His life changes who I am. I'm not the same person I used to be. I was a slave to sin. I lived in ignorance and unbelief. You see, his death changes where I'm going, but his life changes who I am. Secondly, his death made heaven my home. His life gives my life meaning. You know, wherever you live, it's just a temporary house. I know you've grown, a, grown accustomed to where you live. You fixed it up and it's suited to you. But as a believer, you've got a better place waiting for you. In that house, you won't have to fix things that are broken. Aren't you glad, Chris? And you won't have to pay property tax. Yesterday, somebody moved um, out of their residence. And some men from our church, their sons, came alongside and helped them. You know, it's sad when we think about leaving somewhere. But it's great to think about where we're moving to is better than when we're left behind. And for a believer, you know, the benefits are just out of this world. Little joke. His death gets me into the kingdom, but his life gets the kingdom life into me. You see, what I'm trying to say is the identity of a believer has fundamentally changed. So Paul begins to break this down in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, here's his explanation for what's wrong. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. As you read through this section, you're going to see this one man over and over again. Sin entered the world through one man, and death spread to all men. Through, death spread through sin. In this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. Let me explain. Once upon a time... There was a garden. God put Adam in the garden. It was a place of unparalleled beauty and unbroken fellowship. And God gave Adam the choice, the freedom, to eat from any of the trees. He could pick from the apple tree or the peach tree. He could pick from the cherry tree, or I would have picked from the mango tree. He could eat whatever, whenever he wanted to. He was innocent, living in paradise. 
But there was a non-negotiable boundary, a restriction. There was one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. God said, you may eat from any of the trees freely, but from one tree you shall not eat, and the day you do, you shall surely die. Adam was the first man. He is the father of all mankind. We are all in Adam. You could say he is our representative. The enemy got Eve to focus on the one thing she couldn't have, the forbidden fruit. She partook. She gave to her husband. And at that moment, sin entered the world. I was born into sin. Every person is born into sin. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by our choices. We don't sin and then become sinners. Because we're sinners, we sin. When Adam sinned, we sinned. Sin contaminated Adam. Sin defiled Adam. Sin polluted Adam. He is the father of the human race, and he gets the virus, and he spreads the virus to the whole family. It's as if there's a water supply, and it got polluted. It came through Adam, and now we're all polluted by this sin. It's as if Adam struck the match, and the forest was ablaze on fire, and the, the world is on fire now. Technically, when sin came into the world, we were imputed sin. Sin became put to our account. We inherited a sinful nature. We have a sinful disposition. So let me try to explain with ping pong balls. This cylinder represents, oh, by the way, these are not beer pongs. These are ping pongs. Just make believe. So here is uh, Pastor R. And I was definitely in Adam, a broken sinner. And here's Debbie. Now, you may have questions whether Debbie belongs in this one or not, because she's a lot more perfect than I am. Debbie should have this website called ICanMakeItBetter.com, because she can just find things that I can improve in all the time. So I just love this woman to death. But Debbie also goes in here. And, uh, you know, I have an older son, Chris, and I wondered for a little while whether Chris really did have a sinful nature because he's so much better than I am. He's just a good person. He has a good heart. He's just generous, kind to people. He's now an emergency room physician, takes care of people all the time. But there came a point where Chris had something. And I said, Chris, you know, you need to be willing to share this with somebody. He says, the Bible says, be willing to share with others. And he said, no share. He goes in the book. <laughs> and then there's Betsy. I also wondered whether Betsy had a sinful nature, but she was pretty sassy with her mom. So, you know what? I had to give her some hot sauce. And she goes in. And then there's Jimmy. Now, Jimmy and I are probably the most alike of all my kids. So if you want to get to know me, just spend some time with Jimmy. We're both kind of left-brained and kind of, yeah, we're just creative people, and we kind of don't really like rules that much. He's in special forces. Jimmy goes in. And then there's uh, Josh. Now, Josh is my youngest, and Josh is, um, let's use the word growing up, evasive, like there's some family chores to do. Like, where did Josh go? Josh escaped. Josh definitely goes in. And then I'm looking over here at Charlie. You know, Charlie's my friend, you know. Charlie goes in. And, uh, 
And he's got a wife, Diane, she goes in also. Well, actually, all of us go into Adam's um, cylinder because we're all part of humanity, aren't we? And we all have something going on called sin. I'm just wondering what yours is because I'm talking about mine for a minute. And so all of mankind has this thing going on called sin. You see, your problem has some relationship to sin. Nobody has to teach a child how to lie, do they? Because lying comes pretty naturally to us. We need to be taught how to tell the truth. You see, sinning and death go together. Because when you lie, what happens is you kill the relationship. Nobody has to teach a child how to cover things up, how to hide things, right? We need to learn how to be honest and open, transparent. Adam tried to cover up his sin, but there had to be an atonement for his sin, some bloodshed for Adam. You know, I talk to parents some, and, you know, they talk about their two-year-olds, and they say, I don't know what's got into that boy. I don't know what's got into her. What would you say? What would you say if some parents said, I don't know what's got into that boy of mine. He used to be so good. What happened to him? What would you say the problem is? I want you to become like theologians now. I want you to think biblically. What's the problem with that little two-year-old? The Bible says that folly is bound up in a heart of a child. What's another word for folly? Sin. Sin. You see, the problem we all have is a sin problem. And it all relates to Adam. That was passed down generation after generation after generation through Adam. He said, that's not fair, Pastor R. It's not fair that we're kind of lumped all together. We're all in Adam in that cylinder box, right? Remember back when, do you remember back when uh, they went into the promised land and there was the battle of Jericho and they walked around the city for six days and then the seventh day they walked around the city, they blew their trumpets and shouted and the walls came down? And Joshua said, nobody's to take anything out of Jericho, right? The gold, the silver, the iron, the bronze go into the treasury, but nobody's to take it. It's, it's, it's an offering to the Lord. And there was a man whose name was Achan. And Achan saw some treasure, and he hid it in his tent. And judgment fell on the nation because of the sin of one man. You see, it's not fair, right, that one nation should suffer because of one man. But what God's doing is he's saying there's a linkage in our humanity to Adam. Our deepest problem is our sin problem. Okay, now you have to buy that premise. But look at verse number 15. The gift is not like the trespass. Whoa, let's stop there. The gift refers to the salvation that is ours in Christ. It's a reference to being justified by his blood, verse 9, being reconciled, verse 10. A gift is something that somebody wants to give you. Now, people have tried to pay me for things, and I said, no, it's a gift. It's something I want you to have. You can't pay for it. It would be an insult for me to charge you. You know, suppose you go to a friend's house, and they make for you, you know, a nice dinner, uh, your favorite food. And you tell stories, you laugh, you enjoy one another, and you pull out three 20s and lay down the table and say, like, here's for dinner. And they go like, no, this is our gift. You see, salvation 
is a gift that God wants to give you freely. Jesus had walked all morning to a place called Sychar, Samaria. He sat down weary beside a well in the hot sun. About noon, he was joined by a Samaritan woman. She was carrying a water pot. Remember the story? John chapter 4. Now, in her day, she was social distancing, not because of the virus, but because she was the virus. She was the talk of town. She'd been married five times. She was living with this guy. So breaking all social conventions, Jesus, sitting beside the well, said, Can I have a drink? He was engaging her in a conversation. Now, you can tell she was a little sassy with an attitude. She, she said, I am a Jew and you're a Samaritan. How come you ask me for a drink? That we have no relations with one another. And this is what I want you to hear. Listen very carefully. Jesus said, if you knew the gift, if you knew the gift of God, I haven't come to get something from you. I've come to give something to you. I have a gift. God has a gift. Many men have tried to take something from you, but I have a gift I want to give to you. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What God wants to do is he wants to give to you a gift of living water that would satisfy your soul. She, like all of us, had her share of transgressions, trespasses. But the gift, verse 15 says, it's not like the trespass, the transgression. A transgression is a step in the wrong direction. A transgression is to stumble and fall. She, like all of us, was included in the fall of Adam. Adam was the original sin. Now we are the offspring of Adam with patterns, with habits of sin. It's like Adam is the engine of the train, and he went down the tracks, but he fell off the tracks, and we were all the boxcars, and we've tumbled off the tracks. He was the one who lit the match and put the forest on fire. Now, it would be fair for us to pay for our own trespasses. Adam would pay for his being put out of the garden. But for the many died by the trespass of the one man. You see, sin came into the world by Adam. The penalty for the trespass was death, and death spread to all men because people have been dying ever since. So is there any hope for a sinner? Look at verse 15. It says, how much more? How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the one man overflow to the many? Oh, this is good news. God's grace is greater than our sin. Adam's sin brought the curse. Jesus, the second Adam, reversed the curse. One man, Adam, sinned and brought death. Another man, the second Adam, died but didn't sin. He died on the cross for our sins, and his death has brought life. Adam sinned, and the penalty was thorns and thistles. Jesus didn't sin. Men sinned against him, and he wore a crown of thorns on his head. Adam plunged us into sin by eating from the tree. Jesus rescues us from this sin by dying on a tree. We are all born into Adam, but we are born again with Jesus Christ. We either belong to the old humanity of Adam 
or we belong to the new humanity of Jesus Christ. You see, when Adam sinned, his sin was imputed to our account. But when Jesus died, we believe righteousness now is imputed to our account. We receive the forgiveness for our sins. You see what has happened. You see, when I think about sin, I think about we have a comfort level with sin. It feels like an old pair of jeans. We're comfortable with our language because this is what we heard growing up. This is what we hear on our movies. And then the Spirit begins to address our language. We realize that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We read the Word says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. And what happens is the Spirit of God begins to produce changes in us. We're not the same as we used to be because we're not the same person we used to be. And then verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, there it is again, how much more, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Wow. Here's our hope. God's abundant supply of grace. You can never exhaust God's storehouse of grace. You have access to God's throne room to ask for grace because God will give you grace whatever you struggle with. It's not about you trying harder. It's not about you trying. It's about what's true of you. If you understood the implications of God's grace, you can reign in this life. You, by God's grace, can over, overcome and overpower all the powers that try to rule over you. That's why Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now you are in Christ. Having been placed into Christ, there's a new mode of operation. You know what life looks like in Adam when life overpowers you by the power of sin. But it's possible to live in Christ with a power that overpowers the power of sin, with a power that supersedes the power of sin, that conquers over the power of sin. By one righteous act, Jesus dying on the cross, He overpowered the power of sin. He breaks the power of sin. He pays the penalty for our sin. You see, Adam did something wrong. Humanity paid. And Jesus did something right, and humanity benefited. Jesus undid what Adam did. What Adam lost for us, Jesus gained back. Is that good news? Wow. What I'm trying to say to you is this, that there is grace available to you. And it's much more. It's much more than the power of sin. There's the power of Christ living in us. You see, where this sin increased, grace increased all the more. And grace has the power to change your life. You know, we put measurements on things. We measure the ingredients to a recipe. We measure the dimensions of a room. We measure a person's height, their weight. But the one thing we can't measure is God's grace. God's grace is measureless. We have a limited amount of resources, but God's grace is unlimited to us. When you need God's grace, 
you're in the battle, you can ask God for grace, and His grace will be given to you. When sin increased, grace increased all the more. How many times in this morning you probably need some of this grace of God? One morning I was pulling out of my neighborhood. A little confessional time, I'll stop. I was pulling out of my neighborhood, and uh, there's a stop sign there that kind of takes you into the main road. Well, what happens is when you pull out of my neighborhood, there's two hills that are fairly close by, and people are going way over the speed limit. And so this one car was kind of cresting the hill, and I was late for something. It was about 7 in the morning. And so this car is cresting the hill. So I decided not to stop. I just would kind of roll on. Well, the car that was cresting over the hill was a state trooper. He was very polite and professional. He said to me a good question of, why didn't you stop at the stop sign? And I said, well, I saw this car cresting over the hill, and I thought I'd get ahead of you so we didn't call it an accident. He said, oh, there's been a lot of accidents on this road. And by the way, the law says to stop at the stop sign. You see, I've never found a law yet that motivated me to keep it. So there's a stop sign that I had been sort of running through, and now this thumb's pulled over. He's making me a little later, but he's writing something, you know. And uh, he brought it to me, and it was a warning. He showed me grace. He said, sir, I, he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm late to my church. <laughs> and I said, uh, you know, you've shown me grace. You've shown me kindness. And, I'm, and I, this was prompted. I said, I promise you that I will stop at this stop sign in the future. It wasn't a condition of the deal, just that he showed me grace and reminded me of the law. And I said, you know what? That's something I can do. Now, I have not been perfect, but I would say whenever I'm thinking about it, the grace that was shown to me. <laughs> be keeping it real, right? It wasn't the law that changed me. It was grace that changed my heart, you see. It's an amazing grace of God. And what you need more than anything else is an experience with His grace finding the favor of God, of what you didn't deserve is what you got, you see, when you got grace. In Adam, if we are in Adam, we're getting exactly what we deserve, judgment, condemnation. But if we're in Christ, uh, this is what happens, you see, when we go from Adam to Christ. Over here, <laughs> there's justification, there's righteousness, there's forgiveness, there's hope. Over here, there's condemnation. So let me ask you this. Which side of the equation are you on? Are you in Adam? Are you in Christ? Are you one of the saints? Or are you one of the ain'ts? <laughs> are you in? Or are you out? Are you under judgment? Or was your judgment covered at the cross? This is a very, very powerful. If you don't get this part of Romans, you won't get the rest of the book, and the rest of the book is amazing, okay? But you've got to get chapter 5. Many would say this, this is the linkage between everything Paul said and everything he's going to say. And you better understand that to be in Christ is better than to be in Adam. Pray with me. Father, on a Sunday morning, 
we've tried again to understand a little bit about your grace, about what it means to be in Adam, of what it means to be in Christ. And all around this room were people that struggle with various things, that had patterns and habits of their heart, things passed down to them from generations, things they've acquired, things that are upsetting, that mystify us, Lord, that baffle us. We don't know why we do what we do. But perhaps this morning we have a little more insight in the fact that we all have a battle with a nature, a sinful nature. And that battle will continue even beyond our conversion. But we really do need to understand that Christ um, is sufficient, that what he did on the cross is enough. It's enough to cover us, our, our sin, to make atonement for us, to bestow on us forgiveness and a new righteous standing. You want to impute to us righteousness. And you want to show us grace. You're a gracious God. So, Father, at this moment, we just open our hands to the grace of God. We admit the truth to you, to ourselves, that we are fallen, that we have sinned, we don't deserve this grace, Lord. There's nothing we can do to earn it, but we receive it. We open our hands to receive the grace of God. And some here are really in a serious battle with sin. There's something that's very destructive in our life, and we feel so hopeless that we can never overcome this. Father, would you breathe some hope into us? Would you teach us there's a power greater than the power of sin? There's a power of the Holy Spirit, the power of truth, the power of community. When we step into these things, Lord, we find that the power of sin begins to diminish. So my prayer, Lord, is that we might overcome both sin and death and triumph in the triumph of Jesus. Thank you for the victory that was won for us at the cross. And I pray for many victories ahead in these coming weeks as we internalize this truth, as we begin to live it out. Lord, you are good, and we thank you for revealing this to us. And we pray in Jesus' name. We, um, we heard today from Scott, and I realized that many have suffered during this time of COVID, many mental health issues. We've been in this containment, this isolation. We've kind of been cut off from one another. Now we're just beginning to come out of our houses and connect with people come a day when we can let go of these masks and really be with people. But um, I want to pray for anybody here who's struggled with their own mental health through this, because Scott typifies what happens when we feel so hopeless. And God wants to breathe that hope into us and encouragement, right? That there is a greater purpose to our life. And thank you, Scott, for being so vulnerable, sharing that. It's just very brave. Father in heaven, thank you for Scott's testimony, for preserving his life, Lord, for rescuing him, for revitalizing him, Lord, refreshing him, um, helping to realize there's a greater purpose to his life. The enemy wants to come against us and bring accusations and tell us that we are worthless there really is no hope, that everything's our fault. And so we tend to um, receive that 
and believe that lie that we really are worthless. But the truth is that we have great worth and value based on Christ's love for us. And there's a great purpose for being here upon this earth. So I pray for those that are struggling now, Lord, that as they grapple with the truths, as they re-encounter with people, that you might bring healing and wholeness to them as you bring into Scott in his life. And I pray that you'll use God's words to make us reflect upon the fact that God, you are God who hears our cries and rescues us from danger and restores our life and makes things new. So Lord, I pray that over one another, that your spirit would be active in our hearts and that God, you would bring healing to us where there's brokenness. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.